Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, a plethora of sport going on at the moment. But this is going to be a tennis and football free zone as we talk cricket, of course. And we talk about England's one-day series against Sri Lanka, look back on that and look ahead to the Pakistan series coming up. There's also, of course, the women's ODI series and T20 series going on as well at the moment. And uh, county championship cricket. So red and white ball fans are getting equal uh, opportunity to to watch their favourite games. And not the least of the entertainment, of course, will be that at Old Trafford, where we've just heard that Jimmy Anderson took five for three and, in fact, currently has six for eight as Kent declined to 29 for seven. And of course, that includes Jimmy Anderson's thousandth first class wicket. Amazing scorecard, actually. Zach Crawley caught Jones on Anderson naught. Jordan Cox caught Wellsburn Anderson one. Joe Denley made 12 out to bowl the other end. Then Ollie Robinson caught Villas Bold Anderson naught. Jack Leaning caught Jones Bold Anderson two. Heino Kuhn caught Villas Bold Anderson naught. And then Matt Milnes caught Villas, bowled Anderson one. At one stage, Kent were 19 for six, then 24 for seven, and a partial recovery. But an amazing spell by Jimmy Anderson, whose figures currently read eight overs, five maidens, six for eight. We'll update that score at the end of this show, but round of applause for Jimmy Anderson. What a tremendous achievement. A thousand first-class wickets. But... Not at Bristol, where <laughs> that game on uh, Sunday was washed out uh, halfway through, and it's not the first time in Bristol, Simon, sadly. No, it, it rather summed up the series, to be honest, f- finishing, you know, with rain falling and puddles forming on the ground. 
It's the fifth abandoned stroke no result game in the last nine one day internationals at the county ground in Bristol. Two World Cup matches, which was you know, hugely disappointing. There was one or two criticism at the time about the covering of the ground, although you know it was very wet and I was there for, for both those matches. So it felt a little bit like Groundhog Day yesterday. What I should say, though, in defence of Bristol, there have been some thrilling one-day international matches in Bristol. I can list them for you if you want. I remember that one, actually. One of my favourites was um, Kevin Peterson's assault yeah. on the Australian bowlers in 2005, which really set the tone for, for that Ashes series. Yeah, exactly. There's that one, 2005. 2007, India 329 for seven, England 320 for eight. A really high-scoring tight match. 2010, Bangladesh's first ever one-day win in England. Really fascinating game, and they won it by five runs. It was a, it was a thrilling game. And then 2017, Moen Ali's 57 ball, 102 against West Indies, you know, smashing it everywhere. So when they get on the field in Bristol, it can be quite exciting. But unfortunately, yesterday it was very wet in the afternoon. And I mean, it had the feel of, a, of another poor game as well. It's been a very one-sided series. And you, you have to be quite concerned at, at the moment about the future of, of Sri Lankan cricket. I mean, having said that, Yoz... You know, England have gone to Sri Lanka many times you know, in the, the 21st century and sort of produced the sort of performances that Sri Lanka have produced over here. So, and England have managed to, to turn it around. But if, it feels as though Sri Lankan cricket is perhaps at its, at its lowest ebb since they actually got international status um, back in the 1980s. They, they just look a side that's just short of class. It just felt far too easy. The series felt far too easy. For England and Sri Lanka, they were put in every time, and you know they were they were always struggling. They always lost early wickets, and it was it was just so hard for them. And they just could not challenge England at either the Oval or at Durham. And there was a point in Durham, I suppose, when England were eighty for four, and Moen Ali came in and was was dropped first ball. Eighty for five would have made it interesting, but Root played such a sort of high-class, hard-nosed professional innings, as he did at the Oval as well uh, last Thursday, that there was sort of no way back. Sri Lanka would just shut out of the game. I suppose one thing he would say, this sort of like no-holds-barred uh, attacking cricket that England had become uh, known for, I mean, it, we didn't totally see it in, in the, in the one-day series because uh, at the Oval, England played very rational one-day cricket and they did, I suppose, at, at Durham as well. Root, Root played a very rational innings in a way sort of old-school, old-style, knocking it around. Uh, England won the game. And the other thing, of course, to mention, uh, you talk about Sri Lanka sort of being at bottom of the pile because they are bottom of the pile in terms of World Cup qualification in, in the, the World Cup Super League. They're 13th of, of 13 teams. It's, it's time to change that around. But it, it looks at the moment as if they might have to qualify for the World Cup. And, you know, these are, are past winners. So that they, they, they have fallen. So, you know, England playing for World Cup points as well. You, you talked about England's ranking and having dropped a bit. Of course, they did lose a series t to India by two matches to one. Of course, last summer they lost... 2-1 at home to Australia in a really uh, exciting series when Australia won the last game and when perhaps they shouldn't have done it. You know, so they've, they've had some tight series and real tussles, but they have lost of late to Australia and India. But they are clearly a, a decent side and winning this series comfortably without you know, Archer, Stokes, Butler. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of talent to, to come back into it. What was quite interesting was uh, the, the the amount the ball swung in the the mm. couple and a half games that have been played, because you generally associate ODI cricket with 
a non-swinging white ball and the batsman just go hell for leather and, and smack it on the up and have no... Just explain why, Yoz. Well, I, I think it... Well, it's partly because the kookaburra balls they've used have, have always been fairly poor standard. The shine never lasts. The leather's not very high quality. And actually, particularly, the seam is very flat. And as we probably discussed on this podcast before, the seam is very key to swing because it acts as a rudder. And if you don't have a, a seam on a ball, it really is much harder to make it swing. And obviously the Duke's ball, with its sort of double thread and, and cross-stitching and so on, with a very proud seam, that's one of the reasons why the Duke's ball swings so much more than the Kookaburra. So what I can only surmise, uh, though not knowing fully the facts, is that perhaps the Kookaburra company have raised their game a bit, and knowing they've had a lot of criticism, knowing that there's a lot at stake because... Uh, if if they lose their uh, contract with individual countries and the ICC, you know that's a vast amount of, of bulls to manufacture that that have been that they won't they get have a market for. So they maybe have realised the Dukes are sort of encroaching with their very good white ball on their market, and they've raised a game and made sure the balls are slightly higher quality with a better seam because they certainly swung David Willey and uh, Sam Curran in particular. But definitely got some shape with the ball, you know, even in the sort of 10th over. Well, there was one ball yesterday. I think it was in the uh, around about the 21st over. So the 11th over with one of the balls. Chris Wokes bowled an absolute beauty. I mean, the, the sort of ball that you'd see Jimmy Anderson bowl in a test match, you know, where it would sort of pitch middle and, and miss off. And it, it's not, as you say, it's not the sort of ball you expect to see, you know, 21st over of a one-day international. It's normally what it swings for about what two or three minutes, and then yeah, maybe that, one or two balls <laughs> even. Yeah, <laughs> it's all gun gun barrel straight. So yeah, that it was a, a feature of the series. Whether that was a, an issue as well for Sri Lanka uh, coming to England, yeah, could could well then, be. I mean, firstly, cloudy weather. Secondly. You know, the ball was moving more than usual and they're not used to it. So uh, young, inexperienced players struggling with that. It, and, but I think they bowled well too. Uh, I, I mean, David Willey hasn't increased his pace, but his dad always used to say, Peter, he always used to say he's much better bowler if he swings it. And there was a period when David tried to get his pace up a bit more and I think he lost his swing and he wasn't as good. So maybe he's recaptured that and that's made him more effective. It's fascinating watching different bowlers' run-ups. Willie has a peculiar run-up, really. He just, he just jogs in, doesn't he? I mean, it's, you, you talk about, you know, somebody, watch Mark Wood now, who's gone, he's gone back outside the circle. We were watching him at the Oval the other day. He's outside, well outside the circle when he starts his run-up now, which is yeah, such he's a, in a different. He's a different postage zone, isn't he? Postal code. It's, it's, it's yeah. remarkable. Yeah, and there's David Willey. He, he, he really just, just trots in. Yeah. I mean, what, what, I, mean what, it, I think that's, that, that you know, bowlers get comfortable with that. Stephen Finn's another one who just seems to start well in his run-up and then just coasts. And I don't think that is ideal. Obviously, everybody's different and run-ups are what you feel natural doing. But really, you should be building momentum. You shouldn't be just jogging at the same speed. It should be a gradual increase until you explode at the crease and then obviously release. And I, I think it is the key for bowlers to, to increase pace by getting a, 
a better momentum in their run, you can use that momentum to increase the speed of your delivery. Tom Curran, wickets for, for Tom Curran. It's been a very thin time for him. There have been a lot of people questioning his place in this mm. England uh, one-day side. And, of course, Mark Wood wasn't playing yesterday. And they've sort of, they've mixed and matched a little bit with uh, Wood and, and, and Wokes. Wokes has dropped out of a game. Wood's dropped out of a game. Uh, Tom Curran has played and got wickets. And that's obviously I mean, it's, it's important for his confidence after such a, a lean spell. And there was a lot of co- talk around uh, the game yesterday that England should have given George Garton a game, another left-arm a pace bowler. So if England had done, I mean, they might well have played, uh, you know, three left arm quicks. Well, they didn't. Um, and I think Owen Morgan's rationale was one is he, they don't want to give a person just one game. You know, they want to give them a little bit of a go at it. And also, if you were one of the bowlers, if you think about it as well, if you're one of the bowlers to miss out, you know, uh, okay, Tom, okay, Sam, you know, the Currens or uh, David Willey, uh, you're not you're not playing. We're going to rest you for this game. We're going to bring someone else in. That, I mean, that's the last thing you want. You you want to play. You know how competitive it is. You you really want to play, don't you? So you, you don't sort of want to give your place up. I mean, I know it's not your decision, but it's easy for us on the outside to say, oh yeah, that you know, just give give George Garton a game. But you've also got to think about the players who sort of earn the right to to play um, in, in that England side because it is hugely competitive. I mean, the one thing they could have done, England, is try batting first instead of always putting the opposition in. Just to, I don't know, know, give the lower order guys the opportunity maybe to bat occasionally. But, uh, you know, international cricket isn't like that, is it? It's not a a sort of dress rehearsal. You want to win games and and win points. And uh, qualifications on the line now, isn't it, in the, the, the World Cup sense? Well, that that's right. I mean, I think at the Oval on... Thursday, there was a groan around the ground when Owen Morgan said, yeah, we're, we're going to bowl first. I think that everyone was hoping that those had turned up because big crowd in as well, you know, 15,000, whatever it was, 14, 15,000, uh, biggest crowd for a long time uh, on a UK ground. And everyone was hoping that England were going to bat first and they were going to see some of the skills of the of the England uh, batters. But yeah, you're right. It's all, it, it, it's all hard-nosed, ruthless approach. It seemed like the logical thing. Sri Lanka said they would have bowled as well. Uh, yesterday, I could sort of understand it a bit more because there was rain around. And I mean, generally speaking, teams like to to bat second when there's rain around. They feel they can control the game a bit better and know exactly what, what's ahead of them. So you could sort of see it yesterday. Although I think, you know, again, there would have been people who would have much preferred to see England bat first. But yeah, I don't think it wasn't the greatest series. Um, Sri Lanka at the at a low ebb and also as well you know there's lots of competing sports we, we said this is going to be a, a tennis and football free zone but it's worth a, you know a nod you know the, the country's wrapped up or large parts of the country are wrapped up with football at the moment and, and tennis as well is, is taking the attention and England's series against Sri Lanka I think you know it, it's sort of barely registered and it was not very exciting you know all, all five matches that were completed and the then the washout you know it's it's one of those series I think that double series that will be uh, pretty forgettable um, very quickly but Thursday Pakistan uh, um, that is that's going to be a very different sort of challenge uh, you feel for England their progress actually in the next sort of two three four years will be of all the sides in international cricket I suppose will be the most interesting to monitor you know can they take that 
that big step forward that, that you know they probably need to to get into that sort of the, the, the first division if you like in, in inverted commas of of international cricket i mean they're, they're always an exciting team to watch you, you know, it's, the, it's the cliche about pakistan isn't it you, you never quite know what you're going to get they can be bad they can be uh, exhilarating and of course you know, they were and uh, along with sri lanka perversely they were one of the sides that uh, undid england in the world cup in, in 2019 they were over here. i mean they've, they've also been here a lot if you think about it i i, I worked out i think they've been here four times in the last five summers so they, you know, they're beginning to know English English conditions as well. They haven't had the best time of it. They've been sort of uh, up in Derby in intra squad matches. The weather's been pretty ordinary, so it's not been great preparation. And they, of course, a lot of their players have come from the Pakistan Super League, so roasting hot out in in the UAE into English conditions and having to make that adjustment and get you know pretty much straight into a, a series against an England side. And all the players there, of course, have been playing cricket for two three months or had a lot of cricket because we're you know we're well into our season now aren't we um moving towards the middle of july so it'll be a challenge for pakistan as well but it, it, i think i think there's a, a greater sense of expectation about this series and i think there's a lot of interest from pakistan supporters as well they're really looking forward to it uh the, the match at lords uh, on saturday uh, full house which you know which would be amazing to see that uh, a full house on the English cricket ground, probably for the first time since the Oval Test match in the Ashes series. So, uh, you know, what's that coming up? Nearly two years now, and lots of Pakistan support. So, three One Day Internationals and uh, three T20s. Yeah, it's, it's going to be noisy, and it's and uh, let's hope. I, I think, it, and I think it will be as well. It's going to be competitive. <laughs> So one of the players who's going to be leading the assault on that Pakistan bowling attack will be Jason Roy, who, who missed uh, one of the One Day Internationals early, but uh, he's recovered from his injury now, and he certainly looked in good form in uh, that Sri Lanka series when he got the chance. And so we were interested to find out about his whole sort of mindset as a batsman. And firstly, what makes his relationship with Johnny Bairstow work so well at the top of the order in ODIs? It's such a hard question to ask, answer, and um, it's one that's been asked many, many times. And I, th I think it's just a case of us just putting pressure on the bowlers. We we hit the ball in different areas, which I think almost poses that kind of left-handed, right-handed threat type thing. And then, yeah, we're, we're both quite imposing on the bowlers. So we like to take the aggressive option more often than not. And I think when you're doing that, you don't let a bowler settle. And if a bowler's not settling, then it's a lot harder to bowl to. So, um well, we're two individuals that are striving to be not just the best England openers or best England individuals as well, but the best kind of in the world. So I think that that helps a lot. We've both got huge ambitions um, for our careers. One of the fascinating things about opening the batting in this England side in one day cricket is you, you know, you try to be positive. You try to make the most of the, of the power play. How do you deal with that sort of risk reward situation? Because I mean, it, the, the greatest thing in cricket batting is to bat for a while, isn't it? Bat for time, yeah. you know, score lots of runs, be out there and yeah. enjoying it. But, you know, you take that risk early on. So you obviously risk getting out early. And if you, you know, if that happens two or three times in a row, I, I wonder how much you, you start to doubt yourself or, or do you, have you got to the stage now where you sort of totally believe in the method that you, that you've gone yeah. with? No, yeah, absolutely right there. At the end there, the total belief in what I'm in the team for. You know, my role in the team is to go out there, get us off to a great start. And you, uh, 
the feeling you have as an opening batter when you get past 50, 60, you can keep going because you've got that depth in our batting. We got Adil Rashid coming in at whatever it was, number 10 or whatever it was the other day. And he's got 10 first class hundreds. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous, our depth. So it allows us to have our thought process is so free and so relaxed and we're able to just go out there and bat. Yeah, if you get out early two or three times in a row, you get into a bit of like, you get into a bit of a slump and everyone starts getting on top of you. But I got to the stage in the last three years or so, four years or just believing in myself and trusting that it will work out eventually. It will happen. You know, I, I work extremely hard on my game and it'll work out. And if it doesn't, then so be it. And then that'll be that. Then it's, uh, I've run my race and, and that's that. That's life. Well, I wonder whether with you two, there is a time sometimes when somebody's just in the flow and in the rhythm. Yeah. So the other one recognises that and almost sort of gives them the strike or gives them their a, Yeah, 100%. And that's a great feeling because there'll be days where I get off to a fly and I hit the gaps. There'll be days where he he struggles a little bit and then he has to find his rhythm. And, and that's it just seems that we've dovetailed really well through our opening partnership career. Um, obviously, I wanted to continue as long as possible. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just one of those things. It's quite a strange one. It just works. You know, it's such a hard thing to, to put your finger on. It just works. You have, um, you have a little kind of um, superstitious routine when you walk out together. What's that? And, and is it always you that takes the first ball? Yeah, I always take the first ball. I always take the first ball. I, I wouldn't say we've got a superstitious routine together. I think it's just the fact that I take the first ball but before, um, isn't it on the way out? You, yeah, on the way on the way out, we just tell each other, just do what we do in the nets. You know, we we just remind each other what we've like. Let's go out and do our job. We say that a lot. We say um, whenever we get to fifty or hundred, we're just like, there we go, just doing our job. Like that's that's the sort of like mentality. We're we're trying to keep it nice and relaxed, and because at times it's professional sport, you can get really intense about it and overthink all this rubbish that goes on around it and and whatever. But it's just pretty. Uh, Try and keep it pretty relaxed. Have, have you always played like that? I mean, from, from the age of, I don't know, when when did you first start playing cricket? cricket when I, I first started playing cricket properly, um, like caring about it, probably probably 16 years old. Like I thought, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at it or I'm enjoying myself. And to be honest, I actually never really, I was never really like, oh yeah, I'm pretty good at this game. I want to want to take it forward. I was just always enjoyed it. Always loved going out there, play, like meeting up with the guys before the game, chatting rubbish, and then going out and playing it. The camaraderie of team sports is just incredible. So, but I have always been relatively free spirited um, with the way I go about my batting. However, obviously playing international cricket, there's a huge shift in your work ethic and the way you mentally prepare for games. Your top three inches is probably the most important. You get to my age now and the amount of games I've played, the top the top three inches of your body are probably the most important out of everything. So when you were, when you played at sixteen, just just remind everyone listening where you know where, who you've been playing for and, and and yeah, I was playing for Rygate Priory Cricket Club. I played for them since I was eleven. I first came to the country when I was ten years old, and I played for Chipstead, which is in Surrey as well, and then moved to Rygate Priory a bit later. And then a bit of a uh, Surrey Academy stuff, age group stuff for Surrey. And I actually, I actually debuted at seventeen. I think I, played, I think it was seventeen. I played a T Twenty game for Surrey at the Oval in front of twenty four thousand. It was, it was a bit of a one off thing. It was like a, I don't know, felt like a, felt like a bit of a charity, a raffle prize winner. But it was, uh, it was good fun because then I didn't start really playing properly until I was about nineteen. 
was that an intimidating experience or or no I, I don't think i just i was so at 17 i was so naive and so carefree and so relaxed about life and my game and whatever it was just like oh this is a bit of fun in front of 24,000 people just chanting and getting absolutely hammered behind me it was, it was awesome I actually got the train home from that game as well and it was just a ridiculous <laughs> a ridiculous uh, experience and one I'd never forget actually did you get recognized or, or yeah everyone was yeah. on the train and like as you do like, as a, yeah of course and you just everyone's hammered on the train having photos and blah blah my dad was there my missus at the time was there and it was just like crazy and I just I couldn't imagine getting on a train now after a game which is a bit of a shame but yeah it is it's the way it is just just a couple of things about about opening the batting I mean I, I've yeah. just been at my son's uh, last game for his school actually and he got got a first ball at opening at number one um, yeah I mean are there. you are you there yeah well have you I know of course that was the famous <laughs> innings 2015 against New Zealand at Edgebaston yeah that's how did right. you feel then I mean like a first ball me. squirted it straight to backward point first Gone. ball first proper delivery I, I mean I debuted against Ireland but it was a washout obviously we were playing in Ireland so it was a washout and then um my first proper game did all the research on Trent Bolt hoops it into me so I was just watched the front pad and he gave me a he gave me a rank half volley outside off stump and I just threw my hands at it because I'm a that sort of player and I got caught at point. It wasn't just the first ball, it was the first ball of the whole series. Like yeah. it was the first the ball series. of England's reinvention, wasn't it? Almost, exactly. Really. It was exactly. It was the first ball of my I'm supposed to be there imposing myself. First ball, it was like a bus hit me. I walked off and I I woke up it was a ridiculous game of cricket that game, actually. We I think we ended up winning and, and getting a ridiculous total. Anyway, the next day, I didn't even remember putting my pads on. It was oh. just like, it was just such a blur. Like, everything was like, no, nah, it was it was comfortably probably the worst feeling I've had. But, but your job as opener and number one is not only, I suppose, to get the team off to a, to a good start, but also to assess conditions, to sort of figure out what are the good shots to play and what are the risky shots to play and what a likely good score would be. Yeah, I mean, I played a lot of games on these pitches as well. So you kind of get the feel. You know what's coming, really. So you know at Durham, it's going to be decent early and then it's going to get slower. You know, at Edgebaston, it's pretty much going to be a beautiful wicket throughout. Trent Bridge, same thing. So you're looking at 320 plus. Pretty much every venue we play at in England, we're looking to get 320, 340. So you've got to, you've got to kind of step on the pedal a little bit from, from the get-go. But you don't have to be too reckless because we've got players that can be 30 off 30 and then score a ridiculous amount and still be striking at 190. So it's it's still having that trust that even if someone is struggling and they're, I don't know, 40 or 50, they will come through in the end. So do you, in a way, is it having uh, all those very good players down to, as you said, to Rashid at 10 and when you had Plunkett at nine and so on, that gives you the licence, does it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you like you've you've got... You've, there's not that there isn't an impact on your wicket because obviously you would rather be there and your team would rather you be there if you're on a big score. But you know that you, it's not ever in your head or don't get out. There's no fear of failure, um, which I think has been such a huge part of our kind of our team ethos and the way we go about our cricket. In the field with a ball with a bat, there's no fear of failure. In training, meetings afterwards, people speaking, there's no one that's worried about what people are going to think about what they say. It's just a freedom of speech, freedom of doing whatever you want. And I think that is so healthy and so important. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and it kind of all feeds down into our batting. 
when you're in the middle of one of those innings, you know, where the ball's disappearing, I mean, I think, think you, I mean, the, the ultimate was the 180 in, that you made in, in Melbourne. Are you enjoying it as well? I mean, the, obviously the crowd are enjoying it. And you yeah. Know, it. I, do you can you enjoy it, or you, are you so focused? You're doing your job. You talked about you know let let's do our job. Absolutely jobs. loving it. Absolutely loving it because you get to a point in your innings where you're seeing the ball out of the hand and you're just reacting to everything in the right way. Your 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 shot selection is just working. The pitch is quite nice. And of course, when you get on top of a team, especially like the Aussies, you're going to be inside. You know, you're going to be kind of buzzing. You know, the Barmy Army's there having an absolute field day. And you're making a lot of people happy, but that's in between balls. Then as soon as the ball is at the end of the mark, then it's mine's on. But in between balls, you definitely have to find a way of switching off a little bit because um, otherwise you can mentally just break down. How can you move this team forwards to another level? We're always, always in training and stuff. We're talking about it as well. We had a big meeting before the T20s on where we stand. Our, our psychologist came in um, and we had a, had a meeting about it all, where we stand, where we want to go for the World Cup, the T20 World Cup. And there's never, there's no one in the team that stands still. There's always people, you're always asking questions. Everyone's speaking to the bowlers. Like I'm always speaking to the bowlers about, am I running down too early? Can you see it when I change my grip for the reverse sweep? And you like small things like this that really make a big impact come big games. So I, I don't think it's like a, a conscious effort to take it to a new level. I just think naturally the way we work and our, our work ethic will take it there. The, the other thing as well is we've never, we never held the World Cup and a T20 World Cup all at the same time. And that is a huge motivation. Obviously, leading into this World Cup, we were at home and we were the favourite team. So that was a huge occasion. So we had something to work towards and we achieved that by the barest margins. And then now we've got T20s to, to go and try and do the same. What about playing in the UAE, Jason? Yeah. How does that, I mean, how, how much do you think that will differ from India? Or do you think the pitches will be quite similar? And No, the pitches are a little bit different. The pitches are a little bit different, can be a little bit slower. Indian wide ball wickets are absolutely beautiful to bat on. Um, it's one of my favourite places to bat, for sure. There's obviously that, that Sharjah ground, which is an absolute postage stamp and it's a concrete of a pitch. So that'll be, that'll be good fun to bat on. But all the other grounds generally are a little bit bigger. So we're going to have to be fully fit. We're going to have to be ready to go. And yeah, we're going to have to run well and use our skills that we've learned. We've got a pretty kind of experienced side that have played all over the world. We haven't really got too many guys that haven't played in the UAE. So I think we'll be well prepared, but you don't want to speak too soon. Well, that, of course, is the next big white ball challenge for, for all the teams. And everyone's sort of preparing for it. You know, having to play one day international cricket at the moment as well because you're qualifying for the World Cup. So that has to go uh, along with all the other T20 fixtures. But there's a lot of focus on, on T20 at the moment. I, I see as well that there's a chance that there's, there's going to be some very tired pitches, you'd think, in, in the UAE with the IPL being played there, the second half of the IPL and then the, the T20 World Cup. And they, they're, they're trying to bring in a fourth ground uh, next to the stadium in Abu Dhabi called the Tolerance Oval just to sort of help out. And, and, and of course, what you have to do is make the, the ground sort of TV ready because that's actually a huge aspect of it, of course, for both the IPL and the T20 World Cup. So it's interesting to see whether they actually get the, the accreditation uh, for that ground to have just more flexibility in terms of where they can play and the, the pitches they can uh, play on. But... Um, yeah, England. Uh, England will be among the favourites for that T uh, Twenty World Cup, but they the the conditions don't totally uh, favour them. I wouldn't say. Uh, just on, just while we're on uh, talking about attacking uh, batting, 
Uh, Josh Butler's got a calf injury, of course, so his his sort of preparations are, are sort of on hold. Uh, they're they're very annoying in- injuries, those calf injuries as well. And you keeper as well, you're up and down. You never quite know. You never quite have that sort of confidence after you've just torn a calf. Have you, have you ever torn a calf? Muscle? No, I haven't. But actually, I spoke to Joss, and and he said that um, it's one of those injuries that players take the piss out of you because it tends to happen after you're thirty. Uh, so it's yeah. sort of almost uh, <laughs> like you 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 get crock or veteran status once you've got a calf injury. Supply suggesting that. You're, you're in decline. I, I think he's a strong enough character to, to overcome that and obviously very fit and he he is very light on his feet generally. So I, I don't think a calf injury will trouble him as much as somebody who's, you know, somebody like, say, Stokes, who's a, a sort of heavier sort of physique. Uh, no, actually, luckily, I never have experienced it and it, it doesn't sound very nice. It sounds like something that kind of nags away at you and you can't yeah. kind of quite shake off. But uh, what I really liked about Jason, uh, Jason Roy actually talking about the, the, the mindset of, of the England team was the way they help each other and that kind of uh, atmosphere of excellence that they've created mm. so that even in the nets, you know, the batsman will ask the bowler, can you see me coming down the wicket or can you see I, the way I change my hand as I'm going to reverse sweep? So they're always looking to try and just tinker with those skills and make them even better. And that's what you get, actually, when you get so many good players together. They're all sort of urging each other on to just improve that little bit more, which is it's a good omen for England. You know, they're, they're, the, the, the T20 World Cup will obviously be a, a big challenge, but the fact that they are, are sort of aspiring to hold both trophies, the 50 over trophy and the T20 at the same time and of course they had that horrible experience of nearly winning the T20 in 2016 and being done by Carlos Brathwaite uh, at the last so there's, there's, there's loads of motivation there isn't there Definitely, yeah. I think it's something that uh, drives Owen Morgan on. I think that idea of being you know, double world champion, I, I think it's going to be hard for them. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for them uh, to, to win the T20 World Cup. Never to be. I mean, it's, there, are, there are some good sides, good players around. Um, you know, India, I feel, are going to be strong. They're, I think they probably are going to be the, the team to beat. Anyway, it's we'll, death we'll bowling, isn't it? I mean, it's again, it's death bowling. It's you know, Those last sort of five overs which can easily go for 80 or even 100. Uh, it's just, uh, well, 100 may be sort of stretching it slightly, but certainly if you were 15 bowling, and yeah. over. Yeah, if I was bowling. You know, 15 and over is not beyond people's range, is it now? I remember the yeah. time Dhoni hit 64 off less than four overs to win an IPL game. So uh, death bowling is so important. You know, if Joffre's not fit, that does leave England a bit exposed. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a crucial member, and we, we obviously haven't seen him uh, this summer. Not a huge amount of preparation before the Test series for uh, someone like Joss Butler. It, it looks as if uh, Stokes and Butler are not going to feature very much against Pakistan, so uh, they might get one game in, in the T20s, and then the hundred starts. So they'll 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 want to to play in that, won't they? All all the uh, the the ECB will want them to play in that. So you know, have their star players because obviously lots of players are have been dropping out, and it's not ideal for the for the competition. So they'll want to play a bit of that before the Test series, and then it's it's cricket all the way. Then isn't it um, with the Test series against India? We all know what's coming up, and then uh, preparation for the T Twenty World Cup, and then into the Ashes. Uh, we're going to hear a bit more from uh, Jason Roy now. One of the great things about the Virtual Cricket Club is that you get a chance to you get a chance to ask questions of the stars that um, 
feature and give their time to be in the virtual cricket club. And we had some some excellent questions to Jason Roy from Mike, Seb, Mark, and Rob. And what we're going to do is start with Mike's question. One more question is: Do you think um, you were given a fair shot in the in the test team? I I thought it was pretty tough sort of opening in your first series in the Ashes. I know it was the Ireland game before that, but considering your record at international level in the white ball format. I felt it was a bit harsh. I don't know. Do you think you were given a sort of fair opportunity? It's a it's a great question and one that's definitely been stewing in my head for a very long time. I got dropped obviously for the fifth and final Ashes match at the Oval on my home ground, and that hurt a lot more than I thought it would at the time. It didn't hurt at the time. I was like, okay, fine, I understand. Like, I haven't been performing, and it was only a couple of weeks later where I actually thought about it. And I was like gutted. I was heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Um, but to then not get recalled for New Zealand when I was told that I'm going to have a bit of a run after my white ball form was a strange feeling. I was pretty kind of pretty frustrated with it, but I understood that I wasn't scoring runs and I'm, I wasn't an opening batsman in, in red ball cricket. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm not made up for that. And I was learning, I was trying to learn on the job against the best attack in the world with a Duke's ball in England I was trying to learn on the job and it's impossible to do. Uh, there was a couple of times I middled a few balls and I felt so good about it. Um, and that's, as, that's about as far as it got. But no, they're at that stage now where they've got their, they've got their players in for the future and you can see it now. They're doing that rebuilding thing. Same as what the one-day team did. So it is what it is, mate. And, you know, I can, I can live with it. Uh, Seb. Hello, Seb. Nathan Lehman was on Sky Sports a few weeks ago and I was just wondering if you could give some insight into sort of exactly how his role manifests itself on the team and whether you personally are big on your sort of stats and things. Do you go to him for advice or are you more sort of instinct and feel? No, good question. I I use Nathan more than I probably thought I would. I don't really look in too much depth into analysing bowlers. I think each bowler bowls very differently to each batter. The only time I'd ever use it is to see their slower balls, see what they traditionally like to do in the power play. And then other than that, it's it's kind of me bettering myself. My, my, my big thing is dot balls. So it, I'll come off and no matter what I get, it'll be how many dot balls I face. And each time trying to better that. And I think his role in the side, it's its so interesting because he doesn't just talk about the facts and figures of bowlers and batters. It's its field placements. It's where runs leak to. Um, and I think in the World Cup, before the World Cup, we decided to put such a small thing. We put our third man about 15 yards finer than we normally do. And we ended up saving 15 runs a game or something on average. And that was that's a huge thing. That's a huge amount of runs. So small things like that, he goes, he dives into deeper fields and that I'm even thinking of. Because I obviously you think of an analyst, you think of bowling figures, batting figures and catches and runouts. But he's he's diving into to loads of loads of different things. So um he's hugely important to us and, and helps Morgs a lot as well along the way. When you say you see the dot balls, so how does that would how would that make you change if you said uh, I know there were 30 dot balls today? Would you watch each one and then think how you could have scored off that ball. Yeah, and, and you remember them as like it's it's more T20 cricket. One day cricket's fine because you've got loads of time. I'll catch up, whatever. It's more T20s when I'll go four, four, and then dot, dot, dot. And it's like that that's to me, I need to be getting a one there or every other ball. So 
it's more that it's more just making sure that it's just a reminder. Like it's not necessarily that I'm going to go out there and do better next game. I'm just going to have that in my mind that I'm trying to score for every ball. Cause Kumar Sangakara said to me when I had a, I had a dip in form um, as bad as do a lot. And um, he just said to me, just go out there and try and score a one off every ball. And all of a sudden with that intent, you get into a much better position to hit the ball. So you'll hit fours. And if you try and get a one, you'll get a one. It's not just sitting and just going, right, defend, defend, defend. It's And it just got me into a good place. So I think that's why. I think there's a there's a batting mentality, kind of one, two, three or four, rather than dot one, two, three or four, I suppose. No, it's, yeah. You just say, you just say try and score. Try and mm. score, try and score, try and score. And then, yeah. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, boys. Evening, Good evening, Jason. Mark. Evening, Thanks mate. Evening. Um, a couple of questions. The first one is, <clears throat> where's your best knock? Which is the favourite knock you uh, you've done? And who is the the bowler you fear the most? Wow. I've I've developed pretty thick skin, so I, I don't want to say I fear any bowlers. We can't give the bowlers any praise. <laughs> we got to uh. go out there and and pretend like we're all brave and don't want to get hurt. But I mean. A lot, a lot of the Aussies are, are pretty daunting uh, to face. But then on the flip side of that, that's probably my favourite knock is scoring 180 at the MCG. And then even, it wasn't even 100, but it was in the World Cup against the Aussies where I got 85. That was one of like two of my favourite knocks. And the 85, I say that because it was just one of those knocks in a huge tournament in a semi-final against our biggest rivals. And I was just, I just remember just middling the ball a lot. And that felt amazing. And then that was an innings that put us in the driving seat to win that game. So... Yeah, yeah. I was I was at the MCG when you did the 180 knock. Oh, were you? Yeah, that was pretty yeah. special. That was an amazing day. Yeah, because I remember yeah. I remember just being so grateful to be there. You know, like the day before we had training, and I walked out to the middle and and kind of did some visualization. I just said to myself, I "Was like, wow, like, look how far you've come, type of thing, and how lucky are you to be playing at this amazing ground." And then all of a sudden, the next day, I was peeling off 180. So it was pretty pretty mad day and then the day yeah. after that 180 I could hardly walk I was knackered <laughs> <laughs> who do you think has got you out the most in one day cricket wow that's a great question I'm looking at the stats now I have absolutely no idea Mitchell Stark five has times he? Pat Cummins four times Bolt three times out of nine and Rabada three times out of eight Rabada and also he's hit me very hard in the head. Has he? <laughs> yeah. He made me change my my cricket, my my trigger actually. I went out to South Africa for my first away tour with England and I didn't have a trigger. I used to just stand and deliver. And he bowled this rocket to me that hit me on the badge. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I need to figure out how to face this fast bowling. Evening, hey, gents. Hello, Rob. Evening, mate. Um, Evening. Um, so take you back to the World Cup. You and Mr. Bairstow on fire. And he burns a review for a plum LBW. And then you get out. How raging were you? Because we can see you in the change room sarcastically clapping, but like, did you have any input into him burning that? No, because do you know what? I actually I actually completely forgot that he had done that review. So that's why I got so angry at the umpire. So mm. I don't know if you remember, I, I, I was I get a bit embarrassed. I'm a bit embarrassed about it, but I was raging. Of course, I was raging. I was I was belting it, and it was just an incredible atmosphere. The holly stand was going berserk, like it was just the most incredible day 
of cricket and I got given out, caught behind, missing it by miles on 85. And I was just like, you're kidding me. You said to, to him, I, was like, I, I said to him, I'm going to use the review. And yeah. they were like, you don't have a review. And then I was like, how the hell can you even give that out? Like, how can you give that out? And that's what I was saying. Then the leg side umpire came up to me. I was like, it's unbelievable. It's pathetic. You've got to think of this is ridiculous. And I went on a bit too far and then found my way off the field. And then I didn't really think about it, to be honest. It wasn't really a burnt review. I think it's, it's part of the game now. And it you can't really... calm down in the changing room because, you know, like, so obviously the camera kept switch, kept going back to you and you're... Yeah, I took, and looking I, took, I, took, I took... Yeah, I took about 15 minutes to, to calm down, but <laughs> we had won the game and I quickly realised that we were in the final of the World Cup, so I was pretty relaxed. It was like it was like there for the taking, though. You know, a tongue, wasn't it? It was there. So they turned in the semi final. You were absolutely World just tearing them to shreds, and they didn't have a clue. It's eighty-five more than naught, so I'm happy, man. <laughs> yeah, it was a fine innings by uh, Jason Roy. In what I thought was England's, you know, pound for pound best ever one-day international performance, and to come up with a performance like that against Australia in the World Cup semi-final when it really mattered. Uh, and, and Australia were crushed. I can't think of a, a better uh, one-day international performance uh, from England. Actually, I can. And funnily enough, it was the same venue, and it was the same. It had the same impact uh, in a way as as this one did. Um, it was uh, 2004, the Champions Trophy. I think it was the semi-final, it was, yeah. and it was against Australia yeah. at Edgbaston. Yeah. And uh, Michael Vaughan was in charge, and they just completely blitzed away that that very good Australian team. Then, of course, lost the final. But mm. uh, it, it was a, a superb performance again, vested on excellent pace, bowling, aggressive batting, fearlessness. That was the thing that the England two thousand and five or two thousand four and five side had, and the one in two thousand and nineteen had. Yeah, the only thing I would say about that 2004 uh, match, and I was there for the game, it, it felt a little bit like sort of after the Lord Mayor's show, it was in September, it wasn't even a full house, although it was against Australia, it wasn't even a full house. Edgbaston was sort of half full, it was a bit of a cool day in September, and it was a Champions Trophy, it wasn't the World Cup, but I, I'd say it was a very good England performance um, that day, excellent England performance, and a sort of precursor of what you know what was to come the the following season. It gave them that belief actually they could beat Australia. But I think you'd have to go some way to to go past a World Cup semi final win against Australia by eight wickets with so many overs to spare. Get, and against a really good Australian side who'd beaten them at Lords. Anyway, that was uh, that was mm. in the past. In in the future. Uh, England got Pakistan coming up and you know, really looking forward to it. Cardiff, first match, uh, a one o'clock start on Thursday, then Lords, and then the final ODI is at Edgbaston uh, next Tuesday. And we'll be back next week to reflect on what happens between now and then. So thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now. And just to bring you quickly up to date with that Kent score, they were all out for 74 in the end, and you probably know that Jimmy's Figures were 10 overs, 5 maidens, 7 for 19. So he now has 1,002 first-class wickets. And the question is, will he be the last man to get to that landmark? Well, that's a question for another day. Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.